0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the A to Z podcast. My name is Dustin, and I work with Dean Zierfoss to produce A to Z. Before this episode starts, I just want to mention that the series started on YouTube, and as such, some parts, mostly the housekeeping at the end of each episode, won't really make sense in the podcast format. So when you hear Dean Z say that you can leave your questions in the comments below, that's because originally this was a YouTube video. If you do have questions, we'd still love to hear them. Just email Dean Z at law.jd.admissions at umich.edu and put A to Z podcast in the subject line. Other than that, most of the video content translates really well to a podcast. So thanks for joining us on this new format. We hope you enjoy it. If you'd like, you can still watch the original A to Z videos on YouTube by going to law.umich.edu slash A to Z vlog. You can also visit the A to Z blog, which has additional written content and more information about Michigan law. That website is experience.law.umish.edu slash A to Z. And finally, if you enjoy the podcast and find it helpful, please let us know by subscribing and leaving a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening. And now, without further ado, is the A to Z podcast.
1: Hi everybody, it's Dean Zierfoss speaking to you from my basement. Today I want to talk to you about LSAT Flex. What is the deal? I had a colleague ask me the other day, should her son cancel his registration for the LSAT because it had been converted from the regular LSAT into the LSAT Flex? My short answer is no. Proceed. Now, I say that without knowing anything about your particular circumstances, which is, of course, my default position for all of these. Uh, So let me dig in and explain why. First, let me talk about what the LSAT Flex is. It was conceived and developed and executed by the Law School Admissions Council, the people who bring you the regular LSAT, in response to the circumstances and challenges of COVID-19, specifically a period during which sitting with Thirty of your friends in a classroom while you stress out about the LSAT and sweat and sigh heavily seems like a particularly problematic activity. So that's all to the good. But what is it exactly? What does it consist of? It is remotely proctored. You'll take it in your own space and uh, on your own equipment. It is the same exact sorts of questions as the regular LSAT has, uh, but it will be shorter. It will be three scored sections only. Usually the LSAT is four scored sections and one unscored section. So you will be out of there more quickly. That seems good. The scoring uh, style is the exact same, 120 to 180. So it will be familiar to you and it will be familiar to the law school admissions offices reviewing your scores. So that also. Very good. So why would somebody not want to take it? Um, one reason is it's, it's just different. And people worry that law school admissions offices won't take it as seriously. And in fact, I've seen a little chatter about that on Reddit. Uh, nonsense is a strong word, uh, but that is the word I would use to describe that hypothesis. I can only speak with authority, of course, about what Michigan will do, but I talked to a lot of people at a lot of other law schools and I've not heard anybody say they're not planning to treat the LSAT flex with the same seriousness as they treat LSATs generally. We rely as a practical matter on the LSAC to do a good job uh, with vetting the LSAT all the time. We, They have to tell us if it's reliable, they have to tell, if it's, tell us if it's valid, if it's predicted, it is, it is fair, if it is accessible. And we're not, we admissions officers are not in a great position to assess that. So why would we suddenly start questioning LSAC's judgment because it's the LSAT flex versus the regular LSAT? I just don't see that happening. And I can tell you for sure it won't happen at Michigan. Why else might someone not want to take it? Well, it's a slightly different setting. You know, you read about what everyone, what the LSAT is like, and there's just not as much information uh, as about this because it's, it's new. But as I say, there's a lot of it that is completely the same. It is the same sorts of questions. It's the same sort of scoring. So I don't think that's a, a great reason to be worried about it. Now, if you take it and it feels terrible for whatever reason, you can just cancel it right away. And all the law school admissions people will see is a little um, slash mark that you were there and you canceled. In general, no one minds or cares or even particularly notices if you cancel a score, uh, cancel a test before you get the score. Nobody ever minds. And to the extent anyone even notices, that's gonna be even less of the case with the LSAT flex where we know it is new and people might just be a little spooked by it. So don't worry about that. But what if you take it and you feel like it went well and then you get the score and it does not look like what your practice tests were suggesting your score would be. Again, you can just take it again. And the good news is Law School Admissions Council has told, told us that the LSAT flex sittings will not count against your lifetime allotment of numbers of times you can sit for the LSAT. So really, there's no reason not to. And there is a very good practical reason for doing it, which is if you have been preparing and you feel ready to go, putting it off a few months or however long it's gonna take uh, till we have regular LSATs again, isn't great for you. It is hard to maintain that level of edge, that level of preparation once you get there. And you don't wanna have to keep studying for this test forever and ever. So I would say, and we don't, you know, right now, LSAT Flex has only replaced a couple of tests. But we don't know when that's going to stop. There's, you know, every reason to think that until we get a vaccine, um, sitting in a crowded room is going to be a problem. So I would say plow forward. There is very little downside to doing so. Maybe no downside at all. Okay, that's all I got on the subject of LSAT flex, but I do want to leave you with a grammar thought. M dashes. I love them. Lots of people love them. I've noticed in recent years, people are increasingly using them to substitute for other parts of uh, punctuation. So periods, commas, semicolons, all are sometimes take uh, have their place taken by em dashes. Parentheses too. Uh, and they're very useful. But I would say that sometimes we can over rely on them. So one thing I usually do is go back and look at my writing, sort of mentally assess, is that a lot of em dashes? And then take a few out and substitute other punctuation marks since we have so many of them in the English language, if it's looking a little too m-dashy, uh, so I will say I love the m-dash as I, I mentioned, and it's probably going to show up in another episode. So I hope you love the m-dash too. Anyway, thank you for joining me today. Thanks to Dustin Johnston, who is the brains behind this operation, and um, I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedbacks and feedbacks. I'd love to hear your thoughts, feedback questions. Uh, you can put it below in the comments or you can email us at law.jd.admissions at umich.edu and put vlog in a subject line. If you enjoyed this, you might want to check out my blog. Uh, there is a link below so you can find it. And uh, I guess this is goodbye. Until next time. So wherever you go, go blue.